Forgiveness is a, a stealth issue for a lot of people, meaning uh, sometimes we don't realize what's bothering us is a forgiveness issue. We just don't have the frame on it. We don't have the, the you know, the snapshot of like, it's actually, I've got an emotional thing stuck in my craw, and that's why I feel tired. Mm -hmm. And that's why I feel irritated. And that's why I feel, you know, I've got a pain in my neck and that sort of thing. We um, internalize our irritations and hurts and angers and losses and disappointments. And part of being masterful in our lives is to learn how to recognize when a forgiveness issue is afoot and how to easily take care of it, how to actually um, kind of launder it out of your system and um, so that you feel better, so you feel free freer. And um, so I find that in, in this program, sometimes people are quite aware of a few forgiveness issues hanging around and they've been hanging around for a while and you're like, oh, you know, I, I really should take care of that sometime. I really should let go about that thing sometime. I'm, it's, I've been too disappointed and mad about it for too long. And other people are like, I don't know. I got nothing. I'm, I'm good. I don't, I'm not, I don't know. I feel any forgiveness issues around. So I remember one program I had um, a class that had a woman in it who was, she was in the group for like five months and she was just really enjoying the material and learning all the stuff, but she wasn't feeling any need for healing anything. It was like not a thing. And after about five or six months, she came in one, one class just pissed. She was just like, oh, so mad about something that had happened, you know, in high school. And it had been kind of like living in its little cap time capsule inside her until one day for whatever reason it sort of was relevant and came exploding out and she was so mad mm -hmm. and but by then she had seen several people uh, put an issue down with the forgiveness method and she knew what to do she like oh i got a thing i got her and we worked with her and it took under an hour as it usually does and um she felt she left with a skip in her step. So sometimes we are quite aware that we've got these these things in our story hanging around. And other times we're like, I don't, I don't know. But chances are good, because life is lifey, that as we go along from time to time, we will experience a disappointment uh, with a person or a situation. And it's really good to know how to process that. So forgiveness is really um, the experience of fully digesting something that happened that was um, disappointing or hurtful or angering so that it's not recycling over and over in, in your head or it's not living behind your your kidney or you know in your shoulder blades or in your your headache or wherever so um, so it's an important life skill and health habit it's you know for a long time, it's been seen as the purview of religion, but it doesn't need to be. It, it's actually, it's a life skill like driving is a life skill. It's a health habit like eating fruits and vegetables and drinking a lot of water and exercising and moving your body is a health skill. So is forgiveness, a health habit. Because if we, if we um, don't let go of things that bother us and we just keep kind of 
tucking them away and layering them, we, we actually have kind of a layer of fatigue that we don't understand. But it's, it's old stuff that was never fully digested. So, so in this weekend, we're going to learn the um, eight steps of forgiving another person or situation. And everyone here will get a chance to pick one thing, one expectation, one facet of a person or situation that you'd like to be at peace about, that you'd like to um, be done you know, thinking about. And you may or may not be consciously aware of what that is this minute, but um, I've got a little worksheet that we can do later today to just to start kind of opening up the um, awareness around that. And I'll end up working with uh, one person who volunteers, and you'll see uh, somebody um, go from here to here and put something to rest. And, um, and then everyone will get a chance to do it in a private process tomorrow at the end of the day. We'll do a, a private thing where I'm guiding everybody at once through, through a thing. And chances are good, quite good, that you will leave here going, ah, a little lighter, like, huh, I'm glad I'm done with that, you know? So, um, so that's the plan. And um, self-forgiveness, of course, is a really important issue, but we're going to do that in its very own weekend, which I think is in May. Um, and it's a self-love, a self -love, self-forgiveness. Some relationships um, have a lot in them. Siblings, relationships do. Your ex-wife, ex-husband, there's a lot of, you know, experience there. Your parents, there's, there's things that happened over time. So um, it may be a layered affair you where you don't just forgive a parent in one shot. It might take three, four, five shots of this facet of the relationship and this incident when I was in junior high and this facet around the kind of modeling you showed me, you know, in relationships and this facet. But it, it's finite. It doesn't go on forever, you know. And um, in my, my, one of my biggest successes in forgiveness was to forgive my dad, my dear old dad, who was actively drinking till I was 15 and a half. And um, he was not a cruel person. He was a kind man. He was tenderhearted, but he was checked out. He wasn't there. He was a vet. We, we now know a lot about alcoholism and trauma. And, you know, we, nobody was talking in those terms in those days. But he was part of the Marines mop-up crew at Hiroshima. You know, I mean, he was there like the week after the bomb fell. Yeah, and we asked him once, and what was it like? He said, it was fine. Oh. I, I don't know, I was drunk the whole time. I'm like, okay, oh. <laughs> I don't think it was too fine. You know, you were, you know, so he was checked out. He was, he was, you know, a kindly man, but he wasn't there. He was, you know, out, out there. And so therefore he wasn't present to his wife who had eight kids and was losing her mind, you know, and um, so, and he didn't protect me. He didn't teach me. Uh, once in a drunken blackout, he was very inappropriate with me. So there was things, you know, and um, and so that took me over over five years' time, a big forgiveness session about this, you know, and then oh wow, our relationship's so much better, you know. We started making some inroads, some connections, and then a year or two later, ah, you know, realizing this and you know, did a big forgiveness session about this. 
and oh, our relationship improved again. And there was m more inroads, more ease, more comfort. And then, and then a third time, you know, where, where the psyche, your psyche brings things f out like a, like, a, like a flower opens, you know, petal by petal by petal. It doesn't, it doesn't give you your whole gory story all at once, you know, to work on. It, it's, it, there's an intelligence that's unfolding your process. And um, sometimes it's time to just, whoa, get to work and clean the basement. You know, you've got a big, you know, messy basement in your psyche, and it's really asking you to get in there with your sleeves rolled up and do a lot of issues, get them, put them down. And other times it's not. You're just, you're in a more integrated place, and you're more just in the present moment. And it's you know you're just doing the things of the day, the things of now. But you know, something happens at Christmas time, and whoop, something comes out of the the psyche, and says, "Oh God, you know, remember that, you know." And then there's a there's a piece of work to do. So the psyche has its own timing and its own intelligent way. So with, with my dad, as I said, it took, we were like so tense before I knew how to do this forgiveness work. I was the person you hoped didn't come home for Thanksgiving, you know, because me at the table with my dad was made everyone tense, made everyone like, marrying dad, oh God. You know, it was, I was so mad at him for, um, you know, the years of him not being present, feeling abandoned and other things. Um, so, uh, it uh, it was uh, a sec success. It was a real success, and it was like one, two, three big forgiveness sessions over a five years time. In the middle, things getting better all along. And when he died, peace. I was completely at peace with him. I was sad, you know, but I had really recouped all the jewels and gems and. Um, positives that had been there, I had recouped them and internalized them, so I was able to really, you know, celebrate his life and miss him in, in a, just a clean, clean way. I don't think I had another flicker of an issue the rest of my life with my dad, and it was a success. I, I'm proud of it. I'm proud that, you know, I journeyed up and out of that piece of dysfunction into a place of real unconditional love for each other so um, yes did you when you were going through that all with him did you tell him you were going through that you were doing that no he could not talk about emotions it's kind of like the, th the thing inside that can talk about emotions was busted you know it got busted in the war probably you know he just couldn't couldn't do it so if I would start to talk about emotions, he would get start scratching and be nervous and like leave the room and you know, or fall asleep, you know, right in front of me. It's just kind of like, <laughs> like, okay, this man cannot do emotions. And um, I came to look at it kind of like, uh, and this is true with other kinds of brokenness in people around us that we know. Sometimes people have something that's just broke in them, and they're not going to fix it. They're you know, this is what you got. This you got this person with this stuff, and um, you have to learn how to love them as they are and work, work around the the broke piece. So I kind of thought of it as kind of like um, some a, a beautiful, elegant Swiss cuckoo clock. You know, that 
you know, tells time and has the little thing. And the cuckoo used to come out, cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. It worked, you know. But along the way, the cuckoo part got broken, you know. And you can't, like, stand in front of the, the clock going, come on, cuckoo, change, <laughs> say something, do something, cuckoo, cuckoo, come on, cuckoo. No, it's broken. But it's still a nice clock, you know, and it still tells time most of the time. So you're not going to toss it out. But you're not going to, like, be foolish and be standing yelling at a broken cuckoo clock to, you know, chime the hour. It's not going to. And sometimes people are like that. Sometimes people have something in them that just, you know, went, never got developed or it went dormant or it got broke or they disconnected from it. And you just have to learn how to um, accept them and not expect things from them that you would expect from other people that can deliver some normal kind of, you know, interaction and, and connection. So, so no, my dad never knew, um, but he did uh, end up uh, going as my guest to Hazelden Treatment Center, the Renewal Center, where I was teaching, and he was in the 12 Steps for 30 years, and, and everybody up there really liked me and, and respected me and my work, and so it was kind of healing for us that he went there and heard about me. Wow. You know, because I had been his sort of flaky daughter when I was younger. I was like, he always said, oh, Mary's all over the map. Oh, my gosh, she's such a flake, you know. Well, what was he doing at Hazelden? Well, they have this renewal center where you go just to refresh your program, to deepen and refresh your program. And so uh, it's not, you've already been sober for a few years, but, you know, you want to mm -hmm. take a retreat, a 12-step retreat. So they have a couple of meetings a day and a couple classes and lunch and walks and massages and it's, just, it's kind of like a 12-step resort sort of thing so he went there and and it was so telling he he came out of it and he said mary people in that meeting cried <laughs> i'm like yeah he said yeah i said don't people in your meeting cry no we never cry so I'm thinking like there he is on the south side of Chicago with all the old Irish guys and who are all vets and whatever and they're not crying in their meetings they're just kind of white knuckling getting sober and helping each other be sober but they're not doing yeah. that emotional work because that that's broke mm -hmm. the cuckoo yeah. is not singing you know in there I said, he said it was it was really the most moving experience of my whole life I've never oh. seen that oh. yeah right I'm thinking I said dad we cry all the time around here. <laughs> Minnesota, we cry. We, we have me. <laughs> so, anyway. <clears throat> so, just one follow-up. Yes, that, yes. Really, really interesting. Did you ever announce to him that you had forgiven him? Or, it, like, did he notice you different? I'm just curious how it shifted things. Oh, thank you for asking that question, because I want to tell you. I... It wasn't comfortable to say that, well, Dad, I've been working on our relationship, and I did the eight steps of forgiveness, and I released my expectation that you would have been present, and I feel better. I, like, <laughs> that would not be the good conversation to have with him. He would start scratching and, you know, <laughs> leaving the room and <laughs> seeing what else we could talk about, you know, because the cuckoo can't yeah. process that. It's not theirs. So, but what happened was... Um, after each of those sessions I did, I had one amazing moment of love 
with him that was wordless, that it wasn't talking about our story, <clears throat> talking about our problems. So, for instance, I was like an hour away from going to the airport, and my dad and I had had like a couple of nice walks together, and we, that's, we found a few things we could do together that, that we were both present and enjoying, the, watching the kids play, taking a walk around the neighborhood, watching DePaul University basketball on TV, and that's like the three things we could do, you know, and we did them. We did them that whole visit. And then I was, I was walking through the living room to get something, and he was sitting there as he ever was, you know, behind his newspaper, in his big chair, just always, you know, he always seemed so like there but not there, mm -hmm. you know, he would be in his spot, but he was often, I think he was dissociated mm -hmm. a lot of times, wasn't quite embodied because of World War II. And so I would walk, I was walking through the living room, and as I went by his chair, his hand just shot out and grabbed my hand mm -hmm. and squeezed it. And he wasn't even looking at me. He was like, doing this? But this blast of love came out of his hand, out of his heart. To me, it's kind of like, you know, when you have this like chills and sprinkles and like joy, like energetically all over you, like just this blast of love. And he just, you know, looked at me briefly with his little blue eyes and did that and went back to his paper. Oh my God transformation I I felt so happy and so free and something like that happened each time like a moment where um, one, I remember one time I was I was doing a, a family systems paper I was in college for psychology and I was doing a, a paper about family systems and we had to interview everyone in the family about you know the family and ask questions or whatever and at one point I said to him was there ever a time when you were drinking that you did actions that you regretted with your children? Knowing that, you know, mm -hmm. I had been in that position with him. And, um, and as I asked him, it's almost like, I, I, in, my, in my eyes was this like train, this freight train going by of like this incident, this incident, this incident, you know, like mm -hmm. all these little scenes going by in my eyes, which I wasn't saying, mm -hmm. but he looked at me and he said, no, dear, you guys were always asleep when I was drinking and I never hurt anybody. Oh. And I was just pivoting in this moment of like, mm -hmm. do I get really mad and say, no, you know, but he looked at me and the same thing happened. This blast of love came out of his eyes and enveloped. It was like I saw light, you know, we were down in his study in this dim study where he was doing his, his papers and stuff. He was a professor and he just looked up at me and here he says, oh, no, dear, you know, and that, but then this love comes out of him. And I realized, and I heard this little quiet voice in my head. It said, I can't speak of those things. And I felt my soul kind of saying, okay. You can't speak of those things because you want, above all, to be a good man. You really want to be a good man. And you really want to be a good father. And you really couldn't bear to know that you had mangled me, yeah. you know, while you were drinking or that you had, you know, 
abandoned my brother while you were, you, you can't bear it. You just can't, you know? And so there was this moment of like truth where there was truth that couldn't be spoken. But the bigger truth was the love, was this sharing of, of love that came out of us. And I was able to go, okay, all right. We're not gonna process that story together. You can't, you know, but the point is love. You know, the point is that my dad really did love me. And never mind that he was drunk for 15 years while I needed a dad, you know, I'm okay now. I'm okay now because as we heal the parts of our story where there's lack and um, insult and whatever, as we heal those things, the universe finds its way of filling in those parts and pieces. You don't have to like live the rest of your life feeling fatherless or feeling motherless. The universe itself is gonna fill in that sense of having been parented by the, the higher power, by the divine father, the divine mother. Once you start, stop letting go of your insistence that your uh, faulty earthly parents could have done it you know, that we would have preferred that they could have done it, but a lot of them <laughs> couldn't do it. And um, as we let go of that expectation, and this is the definition of forgiveness that we use here, is as we release our expectations of other people that's causing us to suffer or causing us to feel stress, um, we open up to life in a new way, and that problem, that need, that... Uh, peace that we needed gets filled in, gets filled in from the divine source, not from this earthly man or woman who was our parents that were probably doing the best they could, but, you know, had their things. So that's kind of our setting the table for why we're, why we're studying forgiveness. We'll need it at some point. We either need it now for something or we'll need it soon for something or we'll need it later for something because life will deliver <laughs> disappointments and losses and um, problems with people. Okay, so, so forgiveness. Ah, forgiveness. It's, I want to tell you, the, uh, this work of teaching how to forgive, teaching the public and counselors how to forgive for the last 30-something years has been like the biggest joy and the biggest frustration of my life because um, the topic forgiveness is so not sexy for most people like there's a lot of misunderstandings about it there's a lot of resistance to it there's a lot of like I don't know what that is and yet you know why is it that it is a central teaching of every of the world's great religions it's like a central major teaching in all of the world's religions and in terms of um, our Christian religion uh, I feel that it's like the central message. It's like the central message is unconditional love and forgiveness, and they're connected. They're connected like yin and yang, like the chicken and the egg. Unconditional love is this. Uh, it's the breath of life. It's you know, it's it's ease. It's it's thriving. It's uh, harmony. It's it's all good things, and it's related to forgiveness because uh, when we get offended, insulted, uh, disappointed, sad, mad, etc., and we don't fully process it, we sort of close down the jets. We sort of close down the, 
the um, excess to love and harmony. And life is just a little more fraught than it should be. It's a little more clunky, bumpy, you know, um, less uh, less full-hearted. It's it's uh, it goes from very subtle to very blunt. So these days, um, uh, you know, before 1997, there was only 50 studies in psychology or medicine that had anything to do with forgiveness. 50, 50, okay? And most therapists and most ministers go through their whole training and don't have a class on how you do forgiveness. Did you have a class on how you do forgiveness in school, in psychology school? It's, it hasn't been taught as a method, as a thing, as, a, as um, actually the central experience of healing, emotional healing, that it is. It's been this kind of like stealth thing that's been all around us but not understood. And then starting in 1997, there was uh, suddenly a, a growing interest in, well, well, what is forgiveness? I don't know if it's because Oprah was on the air for 25 years and she had all these experts on and how many of them in the end, and when she'd say, well, and what's the biggest thing that you're trying to say? Oh, well, you know, in the end, it's forgiveness. I mean, again and again and again, all her experts on psychology and healing would say, hmm, forgiveness. And yet no one ever showed her audience how it's done. Um, I decided to um, teach this method because it's like so remarkable to, to take a story, a disappointing story, a sad or mad story, and, you know, sit down with a client, put the ch empty chair out in front, work through these eight steps, and look, it worked. That melted out of you. That left you. You feel relief. You're, you're breathing better. You're not mad anymore. You're like, whatever. You know, wow. And it worked so reliably. It worked all the time. I thought, I got to teach therapists this. this. This is, you know, this is something. So I teamed up with my colleague Kate, Dr. Kate Peffinger, um, to start doing the um, professional training of this work in 2006. And she's a real research wonk. She just loves to like go to the, you know, library in St. Paul and get up to her elbows in research and studies and synthesize all this stuff. And, she comes back, she says, wow, there's 1,200 studies about um, the fact that resentments cause illness, uh, that, that forgiveness reduces stress, that there's all these connections starting to be made in psychology and medicine about resentments and disease and forgiveness and ease, basically. And so, yeah, great, 1,200 studies. And then a couple of years later, we took it on the road and went to some conference and we're teaching therapists there and she says let me just go update you know my research and she goes into her research because she goes, there's, there's like 2400 studies now you know well in the end as of um, 2018 there are now 6,000 studies in psychology and medicine around forgiveness is a thing it's an important thing and it actually has it's a health thing it's a relationship thing it's a uh, social efficacy thing it it affects so many different things and um and in the last uh two years the chief surgeon of the american cancer care um clinics this is a national uh, cancer um, medical institution came out and said he absolutely is sure there's a connection between resentment and cancer and he feels that um and especially certain kinds of cancers 
he feels that there's a real connection between resentments and, and colon cancer, for instance. And I have experienced that with three clients who came to me and told me that they had, when they had met me and done my workshop, uh, I've done work with me, they had colon cancer, they didn't tell me. But after we worked, and they, they like just rolled up their sleeves and they made a list of their issues and they went boom, 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 their cancers went into remission. They, they actually healed. So um, he says, um, Dr. Sandifort, his name is, um, in Boston, he says he thinks that forgiveness should be seen as one of the interventions in cancer treatment. You know, you're going to have dietary interventions and, you know, certain targeted medical things going on, but he thinks forgiveness work should be in there. So, um, so the point is that we do forgiveness work for ourselves, for our health, for our happiness, for our loving relationships, for um, ease in life. Because if you have too many resentments in there going clunk bump, things are not working very well. Do you know what I'm talking about? When you feel that, like, like you keep hitting brick walls with things because uh, there's just something that is not at rest inside you and there's something that is not in flow with between personality and higher power and universe or something that's obstructive. And it's, it's an old story that didn't, didn't get to um, process all the way. So um, in the uh, forgiveness work that I inherited from my teacher, Edith, Dr. Stuffer, uh, she crafted these eight steps, which she called her recipe, because she was kind of a farm lady, and she liked, you know, she saw it as a here's the ingredients, and if you uh, if you use all the ingredients, it always turns out, you know. Um, and she observed over 45 years of doing psychotherapy with people, this needs to happen. If this doesn't happen, they don't heal. And this needs to happen, and this needs to happen, and that needs to happen. And she she was able to see the shape of healing, healing the psyche. And um, there are a lot of different methods these days. Um, my friend Dr. Kate believes there's 26 methods of how you do forgiveness these days. And one of them is like one step. <laughs> one of them is 19 steps. And mine has eight steps. Um, and they, some of them are, are religious based and some of them are all venting and some of them are all intention and they have different aspects of them. but um, the one that I'm teaching you guys is based in holistic psychology which we're going to study in the next two months too. We're going to study Dr. Sagioli's psychosynthesis model and um, because it shows us how we're wired. It shows us how we're set up, how the psyche is set up and what needs to happen in order for um, us to be connected to you know in a healthy way connected psychologically spiritually and how t and how to heal because the psyche needs certain things and that's what the eight steps give us so tomorrow um, we'll, we'll go over those eight steps and um, I'll, I'll work with somebody who's ready to take an issue through the eight steps and we'll have a circle of support for that person and um, you know, show you what that looks like. But, um, but just to look at it generally tonight, um, we need to work an issue out of our system through all the parts of us. You can't just think it out. You can't just cry it out. You can't just pray it out. Like you have to actually do a little bit of everything 
And then inside your psyche, it goes, oh, thank you. And it lets go. If you do four of the eight steps, it doesn't let go. It kind of goes, well, I sort of feel a little bit better, but not really. I think I understand things a little bit more, but not really. If you do eight of the eight steps, it dissolves. I was just um, teaching last week when I was in Florida. For whatever reason, it was, it was a good day to die in terms of this one issue that had been with her since she was seven, and she's 60 now. Um, and it, you know, it had to do with um, inappropriate um, sexual boundaries with an older cousin. It had to do with, you know, not horrible, but you know, bad enough uh, sexual abuse thing. And for whatever reason, it was just, she was just, it was time to, to forgive that, that older cousin, that kid. And we, we had the chair and we did the eight steps and her whole body changed. She'd been carrying this piece of, of stiffness and shame and embarrassment and uh, fear for all those years. And it took us 45 minutes. It didn't take, you know, two months of wailing and, and hitting something with a t tennis racket or whatever. It took 45 minutes because it was time. It was, a, it was a good day to die with that issue. It was just time to do that. She, she felt uh, like she was breathing better. She felt like her stomach, like, relaxed, like her stomach was always tense, and, and now it wasn't. And it stayed. It, you know, this is, this is a, it's a permanent change. So if you, if you tackle uh, something that bothers you in a holistic way, and this can be something that happens, like, in 15 minutes when you had like a rude encounter with somebody at work and it's not a big heavy-duty parental thing whatever but it's ah it's annoying you know that to, to do forgiveness out of the moment with somebody who was just stupid right and it's not like a big deal but they're stupid and you don't want to think about it the rest of the day it's gonna take you 15 minutes 20 minutes and then you're gonna be like having the rest of your day without that story in the front of your mind and without thinking oh they're so stupid all day long you're just like okay yeah that happened you know and um and you're able to just start fresh in the present with that person the next day because you knew how to um process it so from the small annoying things to like the bigger heartbreaks to like the deeper uh wounds to outright atrocities there's this whole spectrum of emotional healing in which the process is exactly the same. It's exactly the same to heal something that's a small irritation or a big atrocity. It just takes shorter or longer. It just, but the process of the psyche letting go of something is exactly the same for something little or something big. So if you get excited about um, learning how to live in unconditional love and forgiveness, you'll have plenty of opportunities to practice. Uh, you'll, you'll practice on the traffic jam, you know, when you had this expectation that you were going to get here by 7, but there was a car accident, and, and then an another thing, and oh my God, you didn't get here till 7.40. Well, are you going to be really tense for 40 minutes, or are you going to be in reality and say, oh, hmm, looks like I'm actually not going to get to they're on time. Well, that sucks, but 
I'm going to release my expectation that I would get there by 7. And, and then when you get there at 7.40, you're present. You're not stressed. You don't, you don't have a headache. You, you're like ready to slide in and, and be with what it is. And so that's what forgiveness gives us. It gives us the ability to be with reality and to reduce that distance that you talked about, Roy, between um, what is and what we think is supposed to be. There's a, that distance between, of, of our expectation of what we think something's supposed to be and what it actually is, is the size of resentment that we're carrying. And as we um, become more willing all the time to be with reality the way it is um, uh, and to process our, our stories, uh, it doesn't mean that we become pushovers. It doesn't mean we, be, we put up with abuse or with uh, bad behavior. One of our steps in the eight steps is boundaries. And that's one of the reasons that it's so cool is because you actually figure out what your boundary is. Like, you know, I got to give this person full responsibility for how they act. And I got to figure out what I am willing to have and not have in my space, you know. And, and there's this way where when you do forgiveness work, your boundaries intuitively get clearer to you and, and energetically get stronger so that people actually sense your boundary. You don't even al always have to say it. It's like you just, you just have it, you know, because you have gone there. So, so um, just a couple more thoughts, and then I'm going to give you this little journal page, and we'll t take like just 10 minutes to write down a few things, um, and you can take it home and write down more if you're into it or bring it back tomorrow and um, work on it whenever you feel like it. Um, so the resistance that people have about forgiveness are based in misunderstandings. One is we were taught forgive and forget. Did that ever work mm -hmm. for any of you ever? It doesn't work. It's a complete, it just completely doesn't work. So people try and forgive and forget and they feel discouraged because they can't. And it just keeps coming back and back. And like, why can't I forgive that? Well, it's because you didn't do the things that you need to do. You can't forgive and forget. Edith would say, forgive and remember. Forgive and grow smarter. Forgive and get realistic about who and what people are. Um, like Maya Angelou says, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. Yeah. You know? Um, so, so forgive and remember. And in this way, we turn our wounds into our wisdom. We turn our experiences into little golden nuggets of understanding. Um, the second thing is people are afraid um, that forgiveness is hard and it's going to take a long time. And it's only hard if you don't know how to do it. It's just like driving a car was hard before you took driver's ed. You know, like when you were 15 and a half and you got in the car the first time, you thought, oh, my Lord, I don't, I don't know. But you took a class and it broke it down into parts and pieces and you practiced and then now you drive without thinking. Forgiveness is the same way. You need to know what the parts and pieces are and then you practice it and then you get just good at it, natural at it, and then you're like living it. And you're not, not even working that hard at it, but you're living in more of a harmonious flow because you're integrating experience of forgiveness as you go along so it's not hard if you know what to do and that's what um, the book is about that I brought my book uh, today in case there's anyone who doesn't have it it's really useful each uh, one of the eight steps has its own chapter 
and explains his stories about it and explains how how that works um, it doesn't take a long time once you get to step one the step one is the one where you're willing to do it you know and that's sometimes that's the longest one for people to get to I once um, I used to put up posters around town when I had workshops in the old days when there was coffee shops with bulletin boards and posters and I I'd go do that and I did that one day and I'm like all psyched to do my spring workshop and I get a call that afternoon I go oh great you know where where'd you read about it where'd you see about it she goes oh I've had your card in my purse for 10 years and I just decided I finally have to forgive my ex because I you know she was in an abusive relationship 10 years ago and she had my card in her purse for 10 years before she was ready to do it you know, but once she came to the workshop and I worked with her, it took an it took an hour. You know, it it didn't take ten years. It took her ten years to get to step one of being willing. You know, so that is sometimes the hardest one because people don't understand what forgiveness is and they're afraid it's saying that we're we're letting someone off the hook. We're letting yeah. letting them. We're condoning something. We're accepting something wrong. So, so that's the other misunderstanding is that. Uh, we're afraid forgiveness means we're excusing bad behavior, that we're allowing further abuse, that we're letting someone get away with something, and it's not any of those things. It's That's all worldly stuff. You can actually forgive in your space and sue somebody, you know? You can forgive and put them in jail. You can forgive and never see them again, and you can forgive and not invite them to um, Thanksgiving anymore. Like. The, the experience of forgiving to give you peace of mind is its own thing. And the worldly action of what you do with the people that are around you is, is its own thing. So you're not obliged to um, hang out with people that are bad for you. You know, you're not obliged to do that. Um, so that's another block that people have, that they're afraid, if I forgive someone, I have to talk to them. I have to... We have to, you know, process together and someone has to apologize and someone has to say, I forgive you. And most people can't do that. It's really hard. Most people cannot do that. And some people are not safe to do it with. They're impossible. They're not healthy people. You can't do that with them. But you can still get the peace of forgiveness in your own space. You don't have to go to them and have a thing where someone apologizes. It doesn't, not, it's not necessary. Um, Sometimes people are afraid something is unforgivable. And I like to say, well, do you want to believe that something is unhealable? That's really what it is. Forgiveness is healing ourselves. And so I find it really heartening to think, you know what? Some stories are heavier than others, but it's all healable. Because your pot of pain, like we discussed for, with you, Teresa, your pot of pain is only so big. It only has so many issues in it, you know. I had a lot of issues when I started out because of my alco alcoholic family background and abuse and different things. But there's only so many stories. There's only, the pot of pain is only so big. And your spirit, your soul, is connected to infinity. And it's connected to grace. It's connected to the, the light and energy of the masters that help us to uh, transform things. So it's a good ratio. You know, this is finite. Resource is infinite. So, um, so everything is healable. And I, I've seen some really, really bad stories, uh, 
you know, in workshops and in my office. And every now and then I'd be like, oh, my God, oh, my God, how is this ever going to happen? You know, this woman was sexually assaulted by her minister when she was 17 on a road trip as his secretary. And it ruined her relationship with the church and with God because he was, you know, her... Uh, you know, her stand-in for, for God. And it, it just ruined her life for like seven years before um, we ended up working on it. And I, I just felt like, oh, God. She looked so broke. She looked so, you know, uh, under it. And, but there was so much love and compassion in the room when I did the eight steps with her towards forgiving the minister. And she did have to like, murder him a few times mentally and castrate him and, you know, take a powerful stand. But then you could see it leave her. You could see this, this, you could see it work out of her system and leave. And she, she emerged like, she emerged like a rose opening its petals. She, her skin tone changed, the light in her eye changed, her posture changed, everything changed. And she was full of joy. And um, the cool thing we found out about at the end of all that was here she had, she'd come to our workshop Friday night at this retreat center in Wisconsin and 70 people there. And, um, and I knew the moment she shyly told her story, I thought, oh, wow, I think we're going to work with her because I could feel this tremendous compassion in the room that wanted to help this woman heal this bad story. So what we found out at the end of it, when she, and she was just running around, she was kind of like, Sometimes when people get hurt that badly at a certain age, their growth stalls out right there. So she was suddenly like a 17-year-old girl running around the room, just like being 17. Like, and she was just on again. She was just like moving forward. It was beautiful. Yeah. But what she told us was that she had been on her way in her car with a little U-Haul behind her moving from Portland to Boston. She was moving across the country. And... She got to the middle of the country, Wisconsin, where she realized, I can't go to my new life with this story. I can't take this story there. I, I have to heal this. I, I can't. I have got to get over this. What do I do? And she was praying her butt off in the car. She's praying. And in the distance, she sees a spire of a church. And she just says, oh, I just got to pray some more. And she, she pulls off of the highway and she goes to the church it's open she goes in and she's sitting there she's praying please lord please heal me of this horrible story i i can't go to my new life with this with this burden anymore this hate and this shame and this whatever and my disconnect from you please please and she looks down and next to her on the pew is a flyer to my forgiveness workshop which is about to start in three hours and she drove 200 miles backwards to my workshop to get there just on time and she was the person that we worked with which makes me think yeah. it's a plot yeah. <laughs> there's a benevolent plot afoot that wants us to be free and and conspires for us to be free and plants flyers in strange places so that we end up in the places that are going to help us be free yeah isn't that lovely I know, and it was so inspiring. Like everyone in the room felt like 
well, I guess I can forgive my mother for not visiting me. You know, I guess I can forgive <laughs> my boss for being demanding. I, they, they watched her do this really heavy-duty thing, and everyone felt empowered to do theirs, too. So freedom looks good on us. Freedom looks good on people. And when someone does that, it, it does inspire that in, in the rest of us.